I'll be reading from Ephesians six ten through 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Ephesians six ten through 17. Thanks, Lane. All right. Morning, everyone. There is a... We're going to... Go through a transition this morning I'm excited about, and I'll tell you what, what's happening. Remember this last fall we spent some time going through the book of Romans, talking about how you have all these different people from all sorts of different walks of life coming together and trying to find unity in Christ there in Rome. And Paul spends 16 chapters walking them through how they're supposed to do that, how you come together when you're so different. And then here the last couple of months we've spent some time going through Spiritual leadership and specifically elders, what are they supposed to look like and who are the people that we look to to guide us and shepherd us spiritually? And so as a church, we're going through that process right now. In fact, um, right before we uh, dismiss our time here, Fred is going to give an announcement that will give some more uh, details. I know Matt did last time. And so I won't talk anymore about that because Fred's going to talk about it here in just a little bit. But here in the next couple of months, uh, we're going to do something that I've I've, ta- I've thought about it for a long time. I've never done this uh, with, with a church, but it is something that has impacted me so greatly, I wanted to share it with everyone. Um, and we're going to be talking through what the spiritual disciplines are and our door to freedom. Uh, and there's, you may be sitting there thinking, what are other spiritual disciplines? What's that all about? Okay, we'll get to that. We'll talk about this. But if you want another resource to walk through as we're going through this, there's a book that, that if, if you read this and you're going to see that there's, the format I follow, I, I use sources from other places and hopefully more scripture than anything else. But it's called Celebration of Dith- Discipline. <laughs> I'll try that again. Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth, uh, written by a guy named Richard Foster. Now, there is, just like any book, there's, there's, some, there's some fantastic things in this book that, are, that have really impacted me. And there's, there's not a lot of books that I've read a bunch of times, and this one is. It's one that I've read many times. And so if you want to, to get it and read through it, it's great. Uh, just understand that don't read through it and think, oh, Chris thinks this. Okay, okay, this is a book written by, by someone that is, that is not inspired by God in the same way that, that Paul and Peter and, and the New Testament is. Okay, And so there's bones to pick out, just like there is in every book that you, you pick up to read. Or um, that's, just, that's, the way, that's the way life works. And so if you're a brand new Christian or, or pretty young in your faith, you want to read through this, talk to me, because there's a few things I'll, I'll give you to, just to consider and to think about. If you've been a Christian for a while, you'll be able to walk through and pick out the bones pretty easily with that. But it's just a format that helps us think about these spiritual disciplines and what makes us, um, how, do we, how do we really connect with God on the inside, okay? And so that's there. But what I didn't want to do is preach through some of this, and somebody's familiar with this book and says, wait a minute here, I've heard this stuff before, because I have no shame whatsoever in pulling material from people that, are, that have done very well, okay? And that's, I think that's good. There's, Andrew Carnegie was known for saying, 
on his tombstone, he wanted something that read, here lies a person who surrounded himself with people much wiser and better than himself. Okay, And so that's, that's the effort, and that's the spirit in which I, I do that. Um, and this book was written about uh, celebration of discipline, about the time that I was born. And so there was written on papyrus and on scrolls and that kind of thing. I'm kidding. I'm not that old. Okay. I'm just, anyway, never mind. I'm messing around. With, but uh, it's, there's, it's been reprinted many, many times because it, it was, when it was written, it was something that, that really wasn't on the table here in America, people considering how to approach God and how we, we approach him through spiritual disciplines. Okay. So spiritual disciplines are our door to, to true freedom in Christ and true, true getting rid of all the stuff that burdens us down constantly. Okay, so spiritual, the curse of our age. Let's talk about that here for just a second. I found this picture and I enjoy it a lot. It says, I'm a piece of paper and I control your entire life. You know, you know we can see that all around us, can't we, in, in some form or fashion. But there is all sorts of things in our world because we are so blessed beyond measure in so many ways, but there is a tendency for us to be very, very superficial people as a population here in North America. We talk about all sorts of things that, that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Uh, there was uh, Tim Peterson's mother, Marsha Peterson, passed away here a week and a half ago or so, and I know some of us were over at Livingston for her funeral yesterday. And that's something that Tim talked about, about how he feels in some ways he just runs from one thing to the next to the next to the next and is always trying to chase something. And, but it, when someone passes away, it gives him the opportunity to think about how it's important to slow down and, and think about what's most important in life. Something I didn't know about Marsha Peterson, and she's been here among us, a tremendous lady. I didn't know that I was in the presence of what a great spiritual lady she, she is. She and her husband took on 51 foster kids. And Tim was the second foster kid, and they adopted him. Um, I didn't know any of that story or that. Pretty, pretty amazing, amazing, amazing lady of faith. And so, but our tendency is to, to think about just walk from one person to the next. Hi, how are you doing? Nice, good to see you. You know, kind of, kind of move from one thing to the other, just things that are superficial. Uh, there's, there's sometimes we, we, oftentimes, don't talk about the most important things in life. We can also, uh, we have a tendency to have an overabundance of things. Uh, and stuff, whether it be food, whether it be clothes. I've been around people, and I've been in places in the world a few times, where a person was just absolutely, totally thrilled that they had three shirts, and they were just so thankful that they had three and didn't have to wear the same shirt every day. And our tendency in this country is to think, I only have three purple shirts, or I only have three black shirts, and I, they have these different shades, and they, uh, I just don't have one that quite fits with the, the exact shade that I'm looking for today. Okay, those type of things. Um, whether it be guys or girls, we both have those type of things. that We, we have this overabundance that, that tends to weigh on our, our, our joy. Um, also, the curse of our age, another one, is the urgent, and I've heard it just several times just talking with people today. How many of you feel like you just run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next? Anybody? Just me? No. That's us. Yeah, it's just me, right? It's just me. All you guys have this dialed, okay? I'll just work out my stuff in front of everybody else. How's that, okay? We have this urgency that we run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And sometimes there's vehicles have made things wonderful for us because we can travel from one place to the next quickly. But what happens is what used to be time, you can imagine Jesus and his disciples walking from town to town. What would they do when they walked from town to town? They talked. 
or they had silence or they prayed. But now we have in our vehicles what? We have radios. We have what used to be CD players or tape decks. How many of you still have a vehicle that's got a tape deck in it, right? Yep, I do. Older vehicles. Or we can talk on our phones. At least there's always something that is this noise that just surrounds us, and we run from one thing to the next to the next to the next. So easy to do that. Okay, so what happens is if we live that way without being conscious of thinking, wait a minute, I need to stop. I need to, to see God in life, and I need to put him first. What happens, it's so easy just to run from one thing to the next to the next to the next, and we find ourselves really just enslaved to the stuff that's going on around us. And so the question for us here is, what do we really need? What does our world really need? Our world really needs people who will look deeper past the physical stuff right in front of us into the spiritual and live by faith every day. That's what our world needs. And if we don't do that and we don't lead the way to the rest of our world showing that, then we aren't going to be that much of an influence on the people around us. And so it's up to us to decide, I'm going to be someone who... Who, does, who looks past just the physical stuff, the, the superficial, all that, and, and looks for things that are spiritual and lives by faith. So how do we learn to see beyond the physical and the spiritual? Okay, Chris, great, yeah, sure. I want to get past that, but you don't understand how busy my life is and how much stuff i got going on. That's, you just you, you can't understand that. How do we learn to see beyond what's physical? Help me. Show me something that I can do. Well, here's a few things is the spiritual disciplines are designed by God. And spiritual disciplines, here's just a few, but there's many more. Prayer, fasting, study of God's Word, times of solitude. When is the last time that you had a time where you just had several hours that there was nobody speaking to you that you're by yourself? Probably been a while for most of us. It doesn't happen a lot. Our world does not allow us to do that very often without being very deliberate. Uh, times of service and submission. There's a whole lot more. Okay, But that's the idea, is that we pursue spiritual disciplines. What happens is we are able to start breaking out of this, this cycle that we, we run into. Hey, Also, how do we learn to see beyond the physical and into the spiritual? Spiritual disciplines are designed by God to bring us joy and free us from the slavery of all these things that we just talked about. Superficiality, overabundance, the urgent, and we'll add one here, is sin. You ever find yourself in a situation where there's some character trait that you have or some sin that you have that you just can't seem to shake? Okay. Maybe all you guys are way more spiritual than I am and you just nail it immediately, you know? We wrestle, okay? So think about this. We see this in scripture and let's go into our scripture now because that's what's most important here. Romans chapter 7. Here is the human experience as we see it in scripture is we tend to get caught in this sin cycle. You see this little little guy up there running? How long is he going to have to run before he's able to break out of this? He's not, right. That symbol of infinity underneath. He's just running. He's going to run, 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 and that's what's going to happen. And look at chapter Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read in verse 14. And we went through this when we talked through Romans this last fall. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is a sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not 
do the good I want to do, but the evil I, I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Okay, do, do not, do, do not. You get that? Okay. The point here that Paul is giving is that the human condition is that we can try, we can try, we can try to change ourselves, but we find ourselves in the same situation over and over and over again. We do that. Can you relate to that? If you skip down to Romans chapter 8, Paul says there's a way out of this, and that's through Christ. And we spent some time on that this last fall. But look at Colossians chapter 2. Go ahead and go there. And here's part of this human condition that we find ourselves in. Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 20. It says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay, so in other words, Paul is saying, okay, here's the things what we do as people sometimes. In order to try to be as godly as we can, we set up all these rules around us. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, don't go near that, don't do, do, don't, 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 don't. And what happens is maybe those things work for a while. They help us avoid some sort of sin and, and change our habits for a while. But if we don't change what's going on inside of us, what's going to happen ultimately is we're going to go right back to this cycle that, of sin that we find ourselves in because we haven't changed what's going on, on the inside. Or God hasn't changed what's going on, on the inside. This is maybe a better way to say it. And also the human experience means that our real self also always eventually comes out. Can you relate to that? Let's go to Roman, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. There's a, a part of us that even though we, we try to hide it, it'll come out eventually. And Jesus speaks about this with the religious leaders here. Chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 34. It says, You brood of vipers, how can you who say, who are evil say anything good? For out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So Jesus tells the religious leaders here, he says, remember, whatever is inside of you is bound to come out. And he tells them at other times, you look like whitewashed tombs. You look wonderful on the outside. Everything is put together, but on the inside you're full of dead, rotting bones. It's not real. You know how to put up a good front, but what's going on inside is not real. And when you look at the religious leaders of Jesus' day, that couldn't help but come out. It came out, and it, they demonstrated that in the lack of justice, mercy, all sorts of things that you see within the religious leaders. They, they didn't demonstrate godliness in, in ways at all. And so this is our human experience. So the big question for us is, I know, Chris, how do I get out of this? How do I walk through this? Okay, it starts with moving from slavery to freedom and realizing that righteousness is a gift of God. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 17. And Romans talks about the term righteousness or being right with God, doing right. That's the idea when we, oftentimes when we talk about, yeah, I want to do better, 
I want to to be the person that God wants me to be. I, I want to make better decisions. What we're talking about is righteousness. That's what it is. How can I look different than than how I I am right now? How can I be more what God wants us to be? In Romans chapter five, verse seventeen. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive a God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Okay, righteousness over and over again in Romans is called a gift or something that is offered by God. And so the question for us is, all right, if we've got this human condition that I find myself in that I just can't seem to change, can't seem to get any better, and things are just always the same, and I, and I try to change and it just can't seem to pull it off, how do I pursue this free gift of God? That spot's not good. Okay, Beth, if I come up there again, shake your finger at me, okay? All right, good. So how do I pursue this gift of God that releases me from these chains and helps me to be, to, to be the person that God has called me to be, help me to find that joy and, and leave those burdens behind? How am I able to do that? Well, it starts with deciding that I'm going to be one who becomes a Christian, becomes part of God's family. We approach God in, in faith and repentance and baptism and God's response that says, I'll, I'll wipe your sins away, I'll give you the Holy Spirit that will live in you and transform you, and I will take you to be with me someday. That's part of that covenant that God has given us. And so, but what happens after we've made that covenant? What, what happens next? How do, I, how do I continue to pursue this, as sometimes it's called in Scripture, being a new creation or changing myself that I, I don't continue to do these, these same types of things and be enslaved by, by sla- the slavery of the human condition over and over again? And what it boils down to is deciding, all right, I am going to pursue this free gift of God. And the way God has called us to do that, and we see it over and over again, we see Jesus' example of it, we see Moses' example of it, we see Abraham's example, we see over and over and over again these types of things coming up, is pursuing righteousness through the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, these type of things, and inviting God in to change us. Here's a couple of analogies that help me understand how these things work. Okay, so... Uh, pursuing righteousness um, is kind of like planting a field. Now, you look at this field behind me. I know that there's, I think the planting is going to be a little late this year. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, we're going to skip from winter to summer's just around the corner, everybody. Yeah. And so there is a, a farmer can do things, can, he can't make the things grow, really. What, what a farmer can do, or, or gardener, is we can do some things that help facilitate growth. We can prep the soil. We can put fertilizer down. We can water. Let's, let's keep it to our yard gardens because maybe that's easiest for understand. We can put a sprinkler out there. We can keep things watered up real well. We can, we can pull the weeds out. We can do all that sort of thing. But ultimately, I can plant seeds. But ultimately, there is something miraculous that happens and that God just causes stuff to grow. I can't do that. I can just prepare the soil and help facilitate that growth. I can't make it grow, but God makes it grow. And it's amazing the stuff that comes out of the ground, isn't it? It's just phenomenal. Every summer when uh, we have our, our garden produces fruit that we can eat, which is about from August 15th to, to September 1st or so, right? Maybe a little longer than that if you're good, right? But it's not very long, but it's still so fascinating but if I go out to the garden and say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to grow great stuff, but I don't really care about it. 
I'm going to let weeds grow up in this in the soil. I'm going to pour even better. I'm going to round up it, everything, just nail it, and then I'm going to put salt in the soil. How well do you think things are going to grow there? It's not really good. Yeah, not so much. It's not going to grow. It's going to go very very poorly. So that's that's the the key for us is that if we want to be able to leave this human condition behind and be the people that God wants us to be, what it means is that we start prepping our soil in order to uh, allow God to work. And that means deciding that I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'm going to be a person that pursues God really getting on the inside of me and changing me to what he wants me to be. Here's another analogy that I found really helpful. That looks fun, doesn't it? How many of you would like to hike this trail? Yeah. Okay, how many of you would not like to hike this trail at all? Yeah, there's several. No, not my thing. No, thank you very much. Because, I mean, because it's ugly, right? It's a terrible view, right? That's it. Now, it's kind of spooky. If you, you get up close in this picture, that ridge that continues on there, that trail goes right up that ridge. And... Pursuing righteousness through the spiritual disciplines, we've got to think about a couple of extremes here. Okay? It's not all about me doing everything. I can, I can pursue uh, righteousness and work at it with everything I've got and still miss the boat. We see an example of this that we'll talk about in Scripture here in just a minute. Because I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do everything I can, I'm going to pursue God with everything. But ultimately not allow God to work when he decides that he's going to work in my life. Or we can step off the cliff or the ridge on the other side and say, well, you know, God, I've become a Christian, change me. And we put no effort in whatsoever in order to till the soil so that God can change us. Do you see the difference in those two? And so somewhere in the middle ground, God has given us these gifts of the spiritual disciplines to pursue God and allow ourselves to be opened up so that he can really change us and make us into the people that he wants us to be. Uh, there is um, a couple of obstacles that I want to talk about before we, we wrap up here. Obstacles to pursuing righteousness through the spiritual disciplines. Okay, Number one is that we in our country have a, a great disposition towards being materialistic because that's... That's the context that we grew up in. We tend towards the materialistic side of things instead of the spiritual side of things in our society. And so maybe there's part of us, and maybe a big part of us, that pursues prayer and pursues fasting and pursues the study of Scripture and pursues generosity, all of these different things that are called the spiritual disciplines, that we pursue those things in a way that maybe we don't really anticipate that God's going to do much because that moves us beyond just what is physical. Do you see what I mean? Is that sometimes, even as Christians, I believe we can walk through these spiritual disciplines thinking, all right, I've done my prayer time, I've done my fasting, I've done whatever it may be, and here I am, and okay, what's the next thing I get to conquer, I get to do? Instead of slowing down and really anticipating that, God may work, and God may work in ways that I could never imagine, and God may change me in ways that I could never imagine. Um, Also, an obstacle is maybe just our general misunderstandings. The world that Jesus spoke to was a world that was, in a sense, very spiritual in nature. 
in that the religious leaders were also the political leaders. And so there wasn't the separation of church and state like we have, but, but it was all the same. And one system, both systems are, are, have their problems. But with Jesus, Jesus could tell people when they ask, this is how you should pray. And maybe they understood it a little better than us. Or when Jesus talks about fasting, they understood what fasting is. But there was a time, uh, a, a chunk of time, about 120, 130 years in this country, that there was, as far as, as the author of the book, this is one of the things that he mentions, there was not a book written on fasting that he could find anywhere in our country. Now, I think that may say something a little bit about us, that why, why was that not even on the table when Jesus talks about it, and it's, it's such a big part of Scripture, that, that nobody in our society seemed to even consider the, it being valid or important. You know, maybe it speaks something to us. And so when we get to talking about fasting here in the next couple of weeks, we'll have to walk back and talk through about what fasting is. Where in Jesus' day, he could say fasting, and most of the people there would be participating in it because that was part of the culture and the lifestyle. And there's probably many of us here today that have never fasted in our entire life. And that was me for a long, long time. Um, and that's, that's just the society that, that we live in. So general misunderstandings about what these spiritual disciplines are are evident. But also, turning spiritual disciplines to laws. Okay, we as people just love to do this. We can't help it because it's so easy just to make a rule. And, and that rule be the end all instead of the, the, the spiritual discipline being the process. Okay? In Luke chapter 18, there's an example of this. And you can look at it. We won't read it. But Jesus tells a story of two people that are saying prayers. And one says, looks up to heaven and says, God, thank you so much that I am not like these people around me because I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have to God. And the person next to him says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus' point is the person who humbles himself before God is the one that's honored by God. But you see what person number one was doing? is he was saying, I am righteous before God because I fast twice a week and because I give a tenth of all I get. Is God going to be excited if we decide to pursue him and that we do fast twice a week and give a tenth of all we get? Absolutely he's going to be excited about that. Those are great habits to have. But the problem is, is when those habits become the definition of righteousness instead of leading us to righteousness, we miss the point completely. And that's why we can have this person, for example, saying, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get to God. Look how righteous I am. We can tell you, looking at the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they fasted a lot. They gave a lot financially to God. And they rejected mercy, justice, all these things that Jesus talks about and says, it would be better if you didn't do any of that. Because what you've done is you've made these spiritual disciplines into laws and made those a test of what spirituality looks like. You have changed the definition of what a spiritual person is supposed to look like. And Jesus spent his whole ministry trying to reorient people to what spiritual people were supposed to look like. And so that's a danger that we can run into. But just because those are dangers doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue these spiritual disciplines with everything we've got. Pursuing righteousness through spiritual disciplines... It starts with a desire. We're going to read one more scripture here, Psalm 42. And um, now someone should make this psalm into a song. It's great. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? 
And you see the writer of this psalm, you can sense this desire to, I want to pursue God. I really want to know what he wants for me. And that's where it all starts for us. Okay, spiritual disciplines, praying and fasting, and all of these things that we're going to talk about are not some, something that is just re- reserved for a realm of some, some class of super spiritual people. It's for all of us. It's for all of us who decide, I want to be the person that God wants me to be, and I really want to be changed. I'm tired of this, putting up this front on the outside, try, tired of just trying to look a certain way, and I want to really be the person that God wants me to be. And pursuing righteousness through the spiritual disciplines is about knowing God. Um, it starts with a desire to know God, really who he is and what he is about, a desire to be free. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you just can't seem to, to get rid of. The next few months are going to be a great time to hit that head on. Maybe there is a, you just feel like there's, there's emptiness in you right now, or there's, there's burdens that you carry around because of, of family of origin issues, or whatever it may be, but you want to be free of all that. This is going to be a great time to reorient yourself with God and, uh, and, and grab a hold of that freedom. Also, it's also a, pursuing spiritual righteousness through uh, spiritual disciplines is that some of us here in our world, and I see this all the time, are trying to find, what can I do to make me happy? And when we ask that question, we're always going to find ourselves disappointed because we're always going to end up empty. But when we ask the question differently, and we ask the question, what can I do to live a fulfilled life so that I know that I am fulfilling what God has called me to do here in this life? Man, watch out, because God responds to that in ways that are amazing. And I'm convinced that many of us in our world, and often many Christians, is that we're, we're disappointed in life because we're trying to figure out what is, what, is, what is this fulfilled life? What is this real joy that God wants me to get to? And the reason why we're not finding it is we're not approaching God through the spiritual disciplines and asking him to really give it to us. We ask for it, and then we don't really want what God is offering. And so for the next, next few months, what my hope is, is all of us, as we walk to, through this together, as we're in the process of appointing elders, this is a great time for us all to take a time out spiritually and say, boy, if I'm, if I'm really taken by the things, of the materialism of this world, or I'm just running from place to place, and I feel like I, I just, I don't know where I'm going in life except that I'm going to the next thing. Or if there's sin that's burdening you down, or you're just having trouble finding joy in life, walking through the next couple of months through some of these spiritual disciplines, and I'll every week give you something that you can do, something that you can, ways that you can pursue these spiritual disciplines. Hopefully, a few months from now, all of us are saying, wow, God has worked in me in ways and changed me in ways that I could never have imagined before. And if we get that way in two months from now, hey, hold on, because God's going to continue to do great stuff among us here. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, the elders are in the back, and they're uh, waiting to pray with you. And uh, you're welcome to head back there. Let's stand and sing together.